and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Woof Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me again today. If you haven't clicked subscribe or that follow button, hey, do it right now. New episodes come out every single Wednesday morning. You guys are going to want to check them out. And if you haven't left me a rating or a review, go ahead and do that as well if you love what you're hearing. I'd love to hear what you guys are thinking. And of course, those reviews and ratings, they're always greatly appreciated. So thank you guys so much. You can also follow me on Instagram at speakadogcast. Now today on the show, we have the human perspective. What is our perspective on dogs? Is it right? Is it wrong? How can we change it? What can we do? We're going to talk about all of that. Then we have the dog days of summer. It is so freaking hot out there, guys. (laughs) Be careful. We're going to give you some tips on how to stay safe with your dog and fun things to do with your dog to keep them occupied as well. Then we have the first pets, followed by our listener Q&A. If you guys have any questions for that listener Q&A, you can email me. Keep them on coming. Questions about dogs, training, animals, you name it, send it on over. Email me, questions at speakadogcast.com or message me on social media. Now, before we get going with today's show, got to give you that trivia question. Today's question is, what is the deadliest insect in the world? Yes, what is the deadliest insect in the world? I'll give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's podcast. So be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next on Speak a Dogcast, the human perspective. Yes, we're going to be talking about the human perspective on dogs, you know, and how we perceive them. <laughs> it, it, look, it, I, it, this this goes mostly for how we perceive dogs in the United States. I do know, look, I've got listeners all around the world. Thank you guys for listening. It's awesome. I really appreciate it. But I'm sure there's going to be some differences region to region, country to country on how we view dogs and how we view them as a part of our life. So of course, I'm going to be focusing mostly on the uh, perspective that we have here in the States and what I see as a professional on the human perspective of dogs. And you know something, I I, I, there, I think it's a far side cartoon from years ago um, where it's, it's and it's a joke too. I mean, it's, it's an ongoing, everybody talks about if aliens were to land on this planet, right? The joke, yeah, God, I'm going to butcher it. This is, it just popped into my head as I'm talking about this. Uh, but the far side joke as it goes, you know, it's something to the effect of that if aliens were to land on this planet and see human beings walking around these dogs on, you know, we, we look like we're strapped to the dogs and the dogs are pulling us around everywhere and we're picking up their poop and we feed... It almost looks like who's really ruling the world here, you know? Uh, and then there's always the joke that, hey, cats are really aliens, you know? <laughs> there's that whole thing. Uh, and they're actually um, in charge of us. And one could see that with dogs big time. You know, <laughs> it's kind of funny, but at the same time, the whole reason that joke exists is because of our perception of dogs and the fact that it's incorrect. Yeah, David, you downer. <laughs> I know I have to be. I have to be the bubble popper in the balloon. Pop. I get it. I'm so sorry that I have to burst people's bubbles, but that's my job. My job is to change your perspective on what a dog is. And unfortunately, that usually means changing the way you think about what a not usually. That means changing the way you think, right? Perception, how you perceive. And if you want to perceive something differently, you have to think about it differently right? That's just, that's just the way it works. Um, so again, you know, my job is not always necessarily to train dogs. My job is to change the way 
owners perceive their dogs. Because guys, I can guarantee you right now, I'm telling you, I promise you, 100% certainty, if you change your perception on your dog for the better, if you change your perception of what we're going to talk about today, if you can change your perception with your dog, guys, I can 100% promise, guarantee you, pinky swear to you, that you will have a better relationship with your dog. Your dog will listen to you better, respond to you better. You will train your dog better. You will have a happier, healthier, better pet in your life if you treat them like a dog. Change your perspective on what a dog is. Okay? I, I promise you. There's a lot of look, there's a lot of things that are not guaranteed in life. But this one I can guarantee you, <laughs> you can take something away from my podcast right now and get something out of it immediately, guys. I can 100% certainty if you treat your dog like a dog, if you change your perception on what role your dog plays in your life, you know? So how do we go about looking at this and changing our perception? Well, the first thing we always have to start when we're talking about changing perceptions with though what is a dog? That's that. We have to start with a question. You've heard me. You've heard me start with a question with this one before. What is a dog, guys? What is a dog? What is a dog? They are wolves. Let's not forget it. They come from wolves. They come from being a pack migratory animal. They are wolves at the end of the day. Okay. And I, look, we domesticate them. Sure. David, it's domesticated. So you're going to tell me my Pomeranian is a wolf? Yes. At its core, you're damn straight. I am because it is. I mean, DNA proves that does it not. Uh, come on guys. Like, let's get off. Let's, let's captain obvious. Take off your, your, your cape here and <laughs> come on. Um, yeah, they are wolves by nature. Look, just as ourselves, right? Like, let's look at it from the human perspective, if you will. Humans are domesticated animals, right? Nobody domesticated us. We, we domesticated ourselves. Uh, well, <laughs> we're not going down that road today. Uh, <laughs> so the point is, though, guys, we evolved, right? We, we evolved over in that evolutionary process was the domestication of humans. And you think about it now, while we have spent thousands, millions, whatever, however many years, whatever your perspective is on that, um, on how long it's been, the point is we have evolved into the creatures that we are today. And no matter how much we evolve, I truly believe no matter how much we evolve, we will always have basic, uh, you know, instinctual needs, right? And those instinctual needs need fulfillment. They need to be fulfilled. Okay. Now, look, if we're, if we're just going to be serious here and talk about humans, we, we all, you know, we know we've got, um, there's fulfillment, emotional fulfillment, Right. There's emotional fulfillment. How about, how about just basic hierarchy of needs? Fulfillment of food, water, safety. That stuff never goes away, does it? Okay. So there's, there's sexual fulfillment. That needs to be fulfilled or it creates frustration. You know? Uh, there's all these things that, again, we've been quote unquote domesticated, right? Again, we're not like, it's not like somebody domesticated us. Uh, but we are domesticated to a point that we have evolved where we can be civilized, where we can build cities, where we do all these amazing things that humans do. But at the end of the day, I still have instinctual fulfillments I need to fulfill. And so do you. So we could argue that as much of an, an evolved human as I am, I'm still kind of this like Neanderthal type thing at the end of the day, because those fulfill those, those where I came from is never going to go away. It's never going to be completely removed from my brain. And so it's the same exact thing with our dogs. The difference is 
dogs don't live in a civilized society. Dogs don't, aren't, aren't progressing in time. Dog, you know what I mean? Like, let's be real. It's a dog, guys. It's a dog. I love my dogs more than, look, my wife and I, we don't have children. We love our dogs as if they were, but they're not. They're not. They're not kids. And to think otherwise is only going to do them a disservice. Look, I, here we go. I'm going to, I'm going to try to not jump on the soapbox, but you know what? Screw it. <laughs> I'm jumping on guys. Pet peeve time. Here we are. You ready for it? My, my fur babies. Oh my God. You want to get under my skin? Start using that one. Fur babies. It's my fur baby. No, it's not. It's a dog. It's not a fur baby. It's a dog. Like, <laughs> and I know some of you are not going to like what I have to say right now. And again, I mean this in the nicest way possible, but I don't care. Uh, <laughs> simple fact, guys. Simple fact that humanizing dogs gets in the way of your training. And I'm sorry, you can argue with me till your face turns blue, but you're wrong in this instance. When you humanize an animal to a point that it just goes overboard you start because your 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 perception is convoluted you you can't see clearly you can't you're using your emotions to make a decision based in logic the decision needs to be made logically and you're using emotions to make it and then you get a bad result i know pointing the finger at some of you guys but yeah fur babies oh god Look, people say to them, oh, they're your babies. They're your babies. No, they're not. They're my dogs. They're not my babies. They're not. I love them like they were, but they're not. <laughs> I Okay, like this just, this gets to me, guys. It really does. It gets to me. I love my dogs. Like, guys, I don't, you don't think I get on the floor and go, and cuddle with my dog and give them kissing and scratches. Of course I do. Because they're my dogs, you know, <laughs> like they're my dogs. I'm going to treat them like my dogs and they love that. So when we start humanizing, when we start putting our own emotions onto these animals, look, do you know how many times in appointments, I mean, guys, this happens, you know, there are points with some clients where we, we've got to get real. We have to have a real talk. And when I have a client who treats their dogs like little people constantly to a point of almost obsession. I've asked some, you know, look at point blank. I say, what happened with you and animals when you were younger? Truth time, guys, I have a lot of animal memories that stick out in my brain a lot, a lot. And I'll tell you one of them. And as a little seven-year-old, it broke my heart as an adult. I get it. But again, we're, we're all people. <laughs> we're all animals and I'm sure these these moments, the story I'm going to tell you, these moments of my childhood, I'm sure they affected me and went and pushed me toward this career because everything happens for a reason. But sometimes those things, okay, all right, well, you know, let, let's just, let's talk about it. So when I was seven years old, my family, we had this wonderful little log cabin out on the St. John's River, beautiful little tiny, you know, little, little log cabin, but it was great. We used to do family celebrations up there. Um, we used to, you know, my, my dad was actually, I believe this, I want to say this was when he was in Rotary Club. Well, he still is in Rotary Club, uh, but I think this was a Rotary Club event. Rotary is a wonderful organization. Any of you guys who don't know Rotary, uh, get involved in your local chapters. They're phenomenal. Um, but anyway, 
his Rotary Club had a, had a big event, and I want to say there's probably, gosh, there's probably 50, 60 people there, and we had this cool go-kart, and I was taking this go-kart out, and I admit, you know, even as a little seven-year-old, there was this I had a girl in the passenger seat of the go-kart, and I'm showing off a little bit, <laughs> and uh, and we get to the end of the driveway of my of, of the property, and all of a sudden, the go-kart goes, go, 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 cucks out, right? Now, way down at the other end of this dirt road that the cabin's on, way at the other end, we can see these cows, Right, and this wasn't an uncommon thing. There was, you know, a lot of open land, a lot of pastures, cattle. Sometimes the fences break, cattle gets out. It was a common occurrence. So we didn't, you know. She goes, "Oh, there's cows." I said, "Yeah, you know, I'm trying to get the go kart started." And, and she goes, "Oh, but there's like a little baby calf." And I'm like, "Oh, yeah, you know, go kart started." And then she goes, "Oh, one of the calves is running toward us." <laughs> and I turn and I look. I go, "I don't think that's a calf." <laughs> I mean, this thing is barreling at us. And I went, oh, it's a dog. You know, I'm thinking this thing's coming after us. I get the go-kart started. I hop in. I'm flying down the driveway. This dog is chasing us. I'm screaming to everybody, get inside, mad dog, mad. I'm seven years old, keep in mind. Mad dog, mad. <laughs> I'm hopping out of the go-kart. I'm running upstairs. My dad was one of the last ones up. Turns around. The dog jumps on him, leaps up on him, <laughs> knocks him over, and starts licking his face. You know? Um, <laughs> but... That's the fun part of the story. Now, the thing is, my dad told me, David, and he's right. He was right. He said, this isn't our dog. You know, this is somebody. This is before we'd gotten a dog, actually. He said, this is somebody else's dog. You know, don't feed it. <laughs> he needs to go home. He needs to go find his home. He's right. You know, some property down the road. I'm sure this dog wanders all the time. Well, I fed the dog. <laughs> and of course, doggy didn't go home at the end of the day, and he slept the night out on the front porch. Yep, next morning that dog was still there, and um, we were leaving the next day. That was it, we were leaving. We packed up the car, and this dog stood stuck by my side, was following me around everywhere. Uh, we're packing up the cars, and then we had to pack up and leave, and the dog is still there. I said to my dad, we can't leave him. You know, he said, David, he's somebody else's dog. We can't, he said, but yeah, but we can't just leave him. We can't leave him. And we left him and we drove away and I see the dog watching us, you know, out the back of the car. And I remember being so sad, you know, but again, I was a kid. I was a kid. Sure. Did it have an effect on me? Yes. Did I want to help all dogs? Sure. But you can't let those things shape you to a point that I emotionally, you know, what I did is, at least I like to think of it this way. I took that story, and, and maybe, you know, I don't know, I don't know. I, I think most of the other dog stories, thank goodness, were happy in my childhood. <laughs> um, but I took that story, and I tried to get gain strength out of it, you know? And it made me want to help other dogs. And I don't want to do it in a way that's going to make them sad, that's going to make them anxious. Now, again, let's not get into happy and sad with dogs, but I can tell if a dog's anxious, right? We've been over that. Um... And that's what humanizing does, guys. By letting my own emotions from some random childhood event that I'm probably blowing out of proportion in my head because I was seven years old. You know what I mean? Like, it can really have a profound effect on how you work with your dog. Okay, and I know long kind of story short here. But I see clients that... I feel I do, and I feel bad. I feel, but it's, you know, look, I empathize. I don't feel bad. I empathize um, with a client who has one of these moments, and so I see these clients who continually humanize their dogs, and at some point, I have to ask them, "What happened with you in animals?" 
because it's all out of the goodness of their heart. They're trying to do the right thing, right? They're trying to do right by their dog, but in doing so, they're doing the wrong thing. And they're actually making their dog more anxious because their own emotions, their own emotions are getting in the way. Guys, am I saying don't be emotional? No. But isn't that kind of what we all strive for at the end of the day is having control over our emotions. And you know something that's funny, you know, some of you know that you listen, I'm a golfer uh, and there's a lot going on in the golf world right now. And Hey, maybe I should start a golf podcast. That would be a good time to do that. Right. (laughs) But, um, but there was one of the golfers said something interesting and you know, this is all the, all the interviews going on again. If you don't know what's going on, you don't have to, to understand this, but um, he said, uh, you know, he said, look, we, we can't, we can't control, and I'm trying to remember who said it. I can't even think of who said it because I've been watching all these interviews. Uh, he, he said some of the effect of, look, we can't control our emotions, right? Was it Rory? It might have been Rory. Uh, he said, we can't control our emotions. If we did, we'd all run around happy all the time, right? Like, you'd never be sad if you could control your emotions. You can't control your emotions, but you can control the way you react to them. It was awesome. Like, really poignant, you know? Um and you know, I admit I'm not always the best at controlling my emotions. I wish I was a little better than I am. Uh, but isn't again, isn't that what we all strive for? So, you know, look, I, again, I'm not, <laughs> I know I kind of went off the deep end. It was like, all right, let's take a deep dive. Uh, but this is, this is the truth, man. This is, this is kind of a tougher subject because I think this is the greatest problem we have with our animals, humanizing them so much that we can't even see anymore. It puts this, it puts this shade over our eyes and all we see are the emotions. And instead we need to lift that shade and see what's really happening. You know, I love when I go into a home and I can say, Hey, look at it this way. Or, you know, maybe, maybe let's look at it this way. I think, well, it's your dog actually doing this or, and I change the perspective and the owner goes, Oh my gosh, I never even thought, I never even thought of it like that. I never thought to look at it that way. And now that you've said that, like that makes perfect sense, you know, change your perspective on what a dog is, guys. They're dogs. Smart, but simple. Very intelligent, but black and white in their thinking. Unlike you and I, we are not black and white. (laughs) No, we are not. We are anything but simple, aren't we? That's the problem. That's the problem right there. Humans are damn complicated animals. Dogs are not. And we have a really hard time removing our complications or emotions and looking at it for what it is. You want to change your relationship with your dog? Change your perspective on what your dog is and what it means to you. Let's not forget, guys, these dogs were bred for purpose, for for a reason. Vast majority of these breeds out there, they were bred to do something. They were bred to work. And when they just get confined inside a home all day, and they're not working, and they're not mentally stimulated, and they're not physically stimulated, that's when we get anxiety, frustration, destruction, displacements of anxiety, because you're not fulfilling your dog. You want to fulfill your dog? Learn more about what they are, okay? Listen to more podcast segments, guys. You want to fulfill your dog? Listen to my podcast. (laughs) But it's true. It's true. I like to think my dogs are pretty damn fulfilled. You know, I give them walks, exercise, mental stimulation. They get socialization, structure, rules, boundaries, and affection. That's what makes a happy dog. I don't let my own emotions get in the way of the needs of my dog. Not 100% of the time. I'm not perfect. I am human after all, right? So think about what a dog is, 
what your dog means to you, and how you can change your perspective to enhance your relationship with your dog. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's the dog days of summer. Boy, it's hot out there. I don't know about you guys, but I am frying like an egg. Uh, it is unbelievably hot, unbelievably warm. It's not getting cooler. <laughs> so we've got to be smart with our dogs in the summer. We really do, guys. you got to be safe out there because there are so many ways your dogs can overheat, get injured, all kinds of stuff in the summertime. we got to be careful, okay? Uh, you know, look, it's just practical things at the end of the day, but at the same time, there are some small details you may be unaware of, signs to look for in your dog when it comes to summer. Hey, maybe there's some great ways to beat the heat, and let's start there. How do we beat the heat? Well, look, the best way you can beat the heat is by staying inside at the worst times of day. Now, look, if you're like me and you live in Florida, summertime here is just, it's downright dangerous. And look, I know in a lot of places, even up north, like my wife's from Philadelphia, uh, we know how hot it gets in Philly in the summer. So it's not just Floridians that have to be concerned with this. It's everybody, okay? And there's a lot of great ways we can beat the heat, okay? And one of the best ways we can do it is take our dogs swimming. I mean, really, come on. That's awesome. Uh, lucky you guys up north, you don't have to worry about gators. Uh, look, a quick side note to all my Florida friends. It is summertime. Please be careful with your dogs in the water. Look, I, from everything I'm seeing and reading, it, it, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. All these people moving to Florida, and we're seeing more and more and more and more gator attacks. Unfortunately, gators are getting more and more used to people. People are not taking the proper you know, precautions and leaving them alone and things that we should be doing. And the gators have really started to you know, lose fear of humans. Um, it's not a good thing. It's a little scary at the end of the day. So I'm just trying to be a realist and be smart here. All you Floridians out there, people visiting for the summer with dogs, please, guys, please be careful. Uh, look, the, the rule of thumb is if there's a standing body of, a standing body of water in Florida, there is a really good chance there is a gator in it. I mean, almost like 99% chance there is going to be a gator in that water. Please be careful. Look, the best the best advice I can give you with gators, guys, stay out of the water at dawn and dusk, okay? That is when gators feed. That is when they're the most active, uh, and you really got to be careful. Now, especially right now, we're in mating season. We're going to be nesting season, all that stuff. 
you've got to be even more careful. Gators can be very aggressive. Uh, females are very possessive and very protective over their nests. Nests are usually laid in marshy areas, a lot of reeds, grasses. Um, so stay out of those areas, okay? If the water isn't clear, um, you know, you need to have some fear. There you go. I like that. <laughs> All right. Please, guys, be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful, be careful with gators in the South. It's not just Florida, right? Okay, so that's just the first thing I wanna say. Now, getting back to it, how do we beat the heat? Swim safely. <laughs> Obviously, a swimming pool is gonna be more ideal, uh, but definitely take your dog swimming. It's a great way to keep them cool. Um, you know, those cooling mats are a great thing too. Cooling mats and uh, the cooling dog beds. You know, elevated dog beds that have that mesh fabric. This is a really great thing. You can take those elevated dog beds and you know, if you want to hang out outside with your dog sometimes in the shade and, the, you know, obviously want to be outside, get one of those dog beds and get a fan. Take the fan, aim it underneath the bed so it actually creates circulation underneath the elevated dog bed. That can really help keep your dog cooled off. So just a little, little tip there. If you want to hang out on your patio in the summertime, get an elevated mesh dog bed, stick a fan underneath it, and that way it starts circulating the air around your dog. Your dog will thank you. <laughs> okay. Speaking of keeping cool and your dog will thank you, how about some, just some ice treats? Now, guys, we got to talk about ice. Be cautious with ice. If your dog is overheating, and we'll talk about overheating in a few minutes, but if your dog is overheating, the worst thing you want to do is give them freezing cold water. Ice is not a good idea uh, when your dog's overheating. I'm talking about using ice when your dog is cool and just hanging out, right? Right on the patio. Sure, nothing wrong with a few ice cubes here and there. Um, a lot of people like to make ice water for dogs. I'm going to tell you right now, guys, I recommend against it. Um, look, it's not to say that it's, it's it's gonna be this horribly harmful harmful thing, but if your dog is more on the side of overheated or maybe starting to get overheated, you don't wanna give them ice cold water. water. It can actually have the opposite effect um, and, and, and it can actually cause harm, okay? So a couple ice cubes when they're cool and they're not hot, all good, but I just try to stay away from iced water because it's free, it makes the water cold too. They're not just having a little bit of ice, they're having the ice and the freezing cold water, okay? So just my little, little, little two cents on that. Uh, but another one with some ice treats. Another fun thing you can do with ice treats, take a bowl, right? Small mixing bowl, maybe something like that. Nothing too big. Um, and you're going to freeze water, you know, fill it up with water and you can put some fun treats in there. You can put dog treats, <laughs> pieces of fruit, things that are safe for your dogs to eat. And that way they get frozen inside this ice ball. And now your dog has to lick away at the ice ball slowly. Uh, good, good uh, enrichment too. It's really good enrichment for them. Um, and then they can get to the fun treats while staying cool. Again, make sure you're not giving your dog ice if they're overheated. It's more of a treat to keep them cool if they're not too hot, okay? Um, obviously, those swimming guys, get back to swimming for a second. Don't forget about doggy life fests. I meant to mention that. Doggy life fests are important, you know? Even if your dog is a good swimmer, Look, a golden retriever is like a perfect example. Those dogs will go until they drop. You know what I mean? And we get a little distracted sometimes. Look, nobody's perfect. If you're out at the lake for the weekend, guys, throw a life vest on your dog. If they're out there swimming and all of a sudden they get tired, hey, at least they have something buoyant to keep them up. It's a safety thing. They're not going to drown then, you know? Um, so even if your dog is good at swimming, it's not a bad idea to throw a life vest on your dog. And especially if you're out in the lake or a body of water like that, visibility. You know, a nice bright orange, bright yellow life vest, 
really is going to stick out and get boaters' attention, uh, people's attention. So, you know, they see your dog. So something to think about too, right? Mm, Got to think about that. So yeah, these are great ways we can stay cool. Obviously fans, guys, keep your dogs in the shade. Like let's be smart about it, right? Uh, keep, 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 a, keep a head on your shoulders. I really recommend trying to avoid being outside with your dog at the hottest parts of the days. You know, it, it, some places, you know, noon it starts getting hot, but when you start getting past noon and you get into that one to two o'clock range, you know, I don't know about you guys, but really like noon to, and it depends on the time of summer, but usually like noon to four, noon to five, it's really hot. So please limit your time out. I had a client the other day telling me that she can't get over it. This woman walks her dog every day at like two o'clock in the middle of summer. I mean, like, oh, it kills me like that poor dog. And that gets to the next, that, that brings us to the next point, guys, the concrete, cement, asphalt. You have to be aware of how hot concrete is. It may not be something you think about. Really important here. Concrete, hot concrete can actually damage your dog's paws. It can blister them. It can peel them back. It's gross. You don't want to deal with it. Your dog's going to hurt. Just trust me on this one. Please don't walk your dogs when it's really hot. So here's how you know if the cement is too hot. Five second rule. You're going to put your hand to the ground for five seconds. And if you can't hold your hand there for five seconds, then it's too hot for your dog's paws. Simple as that. Okay, if it's too hot for you to hold your hand more than five seconds, do not walk your dog, please. <laughs> okay, so that five second rule is crucial in the summer, all right? Now, what do we do if we see our dog overheating? Now it comes to the tough side, this stinks. I hope this never happens, please be aware of this, guys. Uh, you know, it's not fun, it's not something we wanna do, but how do you spot if your dog is overheating? Okay. Excessive panting or hyperventilation is one of the first ways uh, we can tell. Really excessive panting. Know your dog. You know what I mean? Know what your dog looks like when you've been exercising a bit and they're panting. And if it looks more than that, if it's more intense, that tongue is so spoon dripping. Mean, they, you know, except they're hyperventilating because that's telling you right there, we might be overheating. Okay. How about dryness of the mouth? or gums becoming pale. That's another great sign. Uh, if the mouth is really dry or those gums are changing color. That's a side note, guys. Right now, while you're sitting here listening to this, go look at the color of your gums, of your dog's gums. Seriously. Uh, because, you know, dogs are a little different. Some dogs have more, have more black in their gums and it's harder to tell. So find a good part of their gums where you can really see the pink uh, of the gums and try to see that color. Make a mental note of what that color looks like. Hell, snap a picture on your phone, uh, you know? And that way, if you feel like your dog is overheating, you can take a good look at those gums and go, ooh, that doesn't look right. I know what those look like normally. But if you don't really know what they look like normally, it may be a little harder to compare if your dog's gums are really getting pale. Okay, so a little side of there. Uh, erratic or rapid heartbeat, pulse, right? If we have erratic or rapid pulse, that can also be um, symptoms of overheating. Weakness, your dog is lethargic, getting very weak all of a sudden. Same, vomiting, another symptom, okay? These are all things you wanna look for if your dog could be potentially overheating. Now, what to do if they're overheating? One of the, you know, instinctually, guys, you know it, you wanna cool your dog down, right? But there are right ways to cool your dog down, and there are absolutely are wrong ways to cool your dog down, okay? Because if we don't do it the right way, we can actually send our dogs into shock. Okay, so please be careful and please be smart about this. The first thing you want to do, guys, move your pet to a cooler area immediately. If you're stuck outside and you don't have anywhere to go, shade. Find a shady spot and get them there immediately. Now, if you're outside, another thing you can do is dig down. Dig into the dirt a little bit. 
right? Like a couple inches down and that dirt oftentimes is a lot cooler than the dirt on the surface, okay? So even just a couple inches can really make a big difference in cooling off your dog in that moment. Every little bit is going to help in these in these severe emergency situations, okay? If you have a fan available, even if it's just a little cell phone fan that plugs into the bottom of the, get that thing on them, use it, put it on their face, their paws, get them cooling off, okay? Now, another thing people like, you know, we think we wanna do ice. Avoid the ice altogether, guys. Let's get rid of ice. Don't use ice. You don't even wanna put ice on their pads, on their paws. You don't wanna be using ice around their heads. Actually, you wanna be using cool water, not cold, not freezing water. So you wanna take a cool towel, okay? Just run it under the sink, wring it out, you know, make sure it's, it's still wet, okay? And you're gonna run that cool towel under their armpits, around their neck, and in between their hind legs, kind of in the crotch area, okay? Those are gonna be big areas, as you know, right? There's a lot of skin exposed in those areas, so it's going to allow that coolness to really get to them. Again, not freezing, not cold, cool. Cool, wet towels, armpits, around the neck, and in between their hind legs, okay? Um, now, you do wanna offer water to your dog, absolutely. Once again, though, not freezing water, cool, temperate water, okay? But you don't wanna force them to drink. If you force them to drink, you run the possibility of the water actually getting into their lungs, okay? Guys, this is serious stuff, and this is like a life and death kind of thing. I mean, you could literally save a dog's life with this info, so hey, take notes. This is really, really good stuff here, okay? Um, but the biggest thing, the biggest thing I want you to take away from today with overheating, do not give your dogs ice in an overheating scenario. Bad idea. Not even rubbing it on them, okay? We all, it's all about cool, temperate um, um, water. That's what we want, okay? So it's, it can be a scary thing. Look, if you're at a dog park and you see a dog, maybe the owner isn't recognizing it. This is why this stuff is so important. It's not just for you. It could potentially save your friend's dogs, family's dogs, even a stranger's dog, right? Nobody wants to see that happen. So keep in mind, these are very, very important things. Summer is such an awesome time, especially if you're Northerners. I get it, right? You got a lot of snow in the winter. You're ready to get out in the spring and the summer, have a good time, but we got to do it safely. We got to do it carefully. One more side note here, guys, hiking. Please bring water with you when you're hiking. Uh, you know, as I mentioned before, I had been hiking in the mountains, even hiking around here in Florida. It really blows my mind how many people I see out with their dogs and they don't have one single bottle of water on them. Crazy to me, guys, crazy. Because even if you're only going 15 minutes on the trail, you know, down the trail, your dog could, could be a really hot day. You know, your dog gets overheated and that little one tiny bottle of water might save your dog's life or another dog's life, even if you don't need it. So please, when you're out there hiking, guys, when you're out there on a walk, I, I implore you, please bring water with you, please. It really could save your dog's life. And for yourself, for that matter, you gotta stay hydrated too, right? So keep these tips in mind, get out there and have fun with your dog, but make sure you stay cool. Next on Speaking Dogcast, it's the first pets. Today, we're going to talk about one of the most controversial and talked about presidents in United States history. Today, we talk about Richard Nixon and his pets. Yes, he may have not been a crook, but he did love his dogs. In fact, Nixon had a dog that became famous before he was even president. Now, known as the most famous presidential dog who never lived in the White House, Checkers. Yes, Checkers was Richard Nixon's Cocker Spaniel. 
The American public fell in love with checkers after Nixon mentioned the dog in a televised speech on September 23, 1952. Nixon was actually negating allegations made against him that he had misused $18,000 of campaign contribution money. A lot more money back then, right? The press learned of the supposed misuse two months after Eisenhower announced Nixon as his running mate. He outlined how he was a financially modest man and went on the offensive against his opponents. But really what might have saved his candidacy was the part of the speech where he talked about checkers. He explained that no matter what happened as a result of the controversy, there was one campaign gift he was keeping. And that was a black and white puppy from a Texas supporter. Yes, the speech came to be known as the Checkers speech. Nixon was not only able to stay on the ticket, but he and Eisenhower went on to win the election in November in a landslide. Checkers lived to the ripe old age of 13 and remained with the Nixons until he died in 1964. Of course, this was four years before Nixon was elected president. When the Nixon family did move into the White House, though, they brought two dogs along with them. Pasha and Vicky. Now, they ended up adding a third dog while in office as well, King Timaho. Now, Pasha was a young, uh, excuse me, was a Yorkshire Terrier that belonged to Trisha, one of the president's daughters. He spent most of his time with her, but he was spotted often with the president as well. Now, in 1974, Trisha's love for Pasha was put into the form of a children's book. At 25 years old, Trisha published Pasha Passes By in the Saturday Evening Post. Now, the story followed Pasha as she had a brief and unsatisfying exploration of the White House after she had escaped from her kennel. Now, you guys can actually go check that story out. Just Google it. Uh, Google Pasha Passes By um, by, uh, by by Tricia, uh, Nixon, of course, and you will find that. A fun little kind of children's short. So something to check out. Now, Baja was known for loving to play outside on the lawn with her bigger brother, King Timaho, although all three dogs were known to get along very well. Now, the second dog in the Nixon White House pack was Vicky. Vicky was a miniature poodle. And again, although she enjoyed hanging out with her, her uh, other, you know, puppy siblings, dog siblings, what she really enjoyed was fishing for goldfish in a pond on the White House lawn there. Yeah, once while out on a walk with Vicky, First Lady Pat Nixon was caught off guard when Vicky pounced into the pond and grabbed a fish. Now, luckily, the quick-acting uh, White House staff was able to get the fish and save its life, but from that point forward, they definitely had to keep a closer eye on Vicky around that pond. The third dog to round out the Nixon four-legged friends pack was King Timaho, or Tim for short, a beautiful, handsome Irish setter. Now, he was a birthday gift from the White House staff to the president. However, the original president was uh, just a small model of an Irish setter that was to represent the puppy that was to come. Nixon said that he was going to hold off on naming him until he met him, explaining that he wanted to, quote, judge his personality, but that it would certainly be a good Irish name. <laughs> he was named after a hamlet in Ireland where Nixon's ancestors came from. King Timaho also became a good friend and very close with Nixon's butler, Manalo Sanchez. Now, he was a naturalized American, uh, Spanish-American citizen, and he taught Timaho to not only respond to commands in English, but Spanish as well. President Nixon absolutely loved his dogs. He even kept a drawer full of dog bones, yeah, like dog biscuits, in his office, ready to go at any time. Now, the rest of the family absolutely adored their dogs, too. There was always a presence of dogs at their celebrations. You know, birthdays, weddings, families, vacations, anniversaries, the dogs were always 
present. Now, one such event, there's actually a famous picture where King Timaho stole the show at the president's 61st uh, 61st birthday party. I love this picture. Tim took it upon himself to taste the cake first while the family was posing for a picture themselves. Now, there really are so many pictures of President Nixon and his family with their beloved dogs. It really is just wonderful. It's really amazing. You know, and I apologize if I mispronounce this name. Uh, Traffies, Traffes Bryant. Now, he was the longtime White House family dog wrangler. He served for many administrations, including the Nixon uh, administration. And he reported in his book, Dog Days at the White House, that Nixon's daughters would regularly visit the dogs. And he was often called to bring the dogs inside, not just keeping them outdoor in the kennels, you know, really proving to the love that this family had for their dogs that they wanted them to be inside and a part of their life. Now, he also said Tim and Pasha and Vicky are happy, affectionate dogs, and it's a wonderful thing to see that big smile on the president's face when he comes home and sees these three running out to meet him. Once Nixon resigned his office, his family, and of course, all three dogs, they relocated back to their home in San Clemente, California. Nixon may have been a controversial president, and the accuracy on how he is portrayed in the media since really has always been up for debate. But the one thing that is unquestionable with him, his wife, and his family, it was their love for their dogs. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Nina from Virginia. Nina says, I have a six-month-old chocolate lab puppy, and we're having a problem with housebreaking. She only has pee accidents, though, but I cannot seem to predict when she's going to go, and she's not giving me any signs. What should I do? I am tired of cleaning pee. With like six exclamation points. <laughs> Nina, I'm so sorry you're still going through that. Cleaning up pee is never fun. Believe me, I know. <laughs> so there are definitely some tips I can give you. Now, I, I don't know what you are or are not doing, you know, with certain aspects of housebreaking. So we're just going to kind of run through it really quick. First thing I got to say is make sure you're cleaning this up properly. Use a proper cleaner uh, to get the pee mess up. You know, Nature's Miracle. Nature's Miracle is a great one. Uh, Wonderful cleaner. It's going to actually break down the enzymes of the pee, get that actual smell out so your dog no longer longer smells it and wants to use the same spot. You know, that's the first thing. Are they using the same spot to pee in? Are they choosing different spots? Uh, Either way, clean it up properly. But if they're using the same spot, then it's sort of a marking thing going on. You got a pattern happening and we got to break that. First way to break it, get rid of the smell. Okay, second thing, when you take your puppy outside, I know, you know, six months old, you may be already breaking this rule, but you gotta leash your puppy up. You have to leash your puppy up. It's the only way to guide and direct their behavior, and it's the only way to ensure you can guide and direct them to going pee. Now, I recommend almost creating a figure eight motion using your leash, guiding them into making that circling figure eight motion to get them into pee mode. Feel free to say go pee. But don't say it too many times. Okay, be simple with it. Go pee. Go pee. <laughs> right? Like space it out. Take your time. Uh, I try to also like if your dog's, if, if they're getting unfocused, I'll refocus them using the leash and say, hey, go pee. That's when I'll choose to go pee. Trying to like guide them, direct them to it. I'm not just saying go pee, go pee, go pee, go pee, go pee, go pee, so they learn to ignore you. Okay, that's the person. Okay, next, you're going to want to make sure you have a treat with you. Should have mentioned this probably before. <laughs> Don't go outside with your dog until you have a treat on you. Once they're done peeing, 
Once they do their business, the treat needs to go right in their face, reward the hell out of them, okay? Make it a big deal. It's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Awesome, good go pee, affection, food, yay. All right, fantastic. Now we go back inside and we let them have a little bit of water. Don't let them drink a whole bowl. Don't let them drink for 35, 45 seconds. They only need about 10, 20 seconds of water at absolute most. Now you have a lab puppy. That's why I say 10 to 20 seconds, maybe a little more, probably growing, getting a little bigger. Um, But be the judge of that. You know, some dogs tend to really scoop up and lap up a ton of water in each sip. You got to be careful of that because if your puppy drinks so much that they fill their bladder too full, well, she's not going to be able to hold it, right? Going to break, or he, she, she. She's not going to be able to hold it, and her bladder is going to burst. So be sure you're giving her the appropriate amount of water, not too little that she's not, you know, you're not dehydrating her, but not too much that she's overdrinking. Puppies tend to overdrink like you wouldn't believe, okay? So control that intake and output. Now, let's say your puppy didn't go to the bathroom outside. Well, you're going to bring them back inside, and you're not taking off the leash. They're going to stay leashed up to you, and you're going to keep a close eye on them. Once they start giving you the signals, putting the nose to the ground and sniffing, maybe circling, maybe looking uneasy, maybe some whining, we take them outside, we try it again. Rinse and repeat until we have success. When we have sex success, we reward it with a treat immediately, not once you get back inside, immediately reward it with a treat, move on. Okay. The other thing you want to, another thing you want to do is make sure you have a decently, uh, somewhat consistent feeding schedule. Right, you don't want to be feeding at six a.m. one day, eleven a.m. the next day, nine a.m. the next. Okay, there has to be some form of consistency. I usually recommend a two-hour window. If you can make it a little better than that, until your dog gets on track, cool. Uh, but if not, you know, no worries. But about a two-hour window is what you want to be doing. That way, you know your dog ate. You know how much time is going to go by. Then they need to use the bathroom. Um, every dog's a little different, especially at six months old on how long you should wait. I would say roughly thirty minutes uh, after they eat. Again, after they eat. You're going to be keeping an eye on them. Look, this is a, it's, it's a really basic way of housebreaking. I mean, it is. This is what it takes. It's very basic, but it's very involved. You have to know what your puppy is doing at all times. If you cannot watch your puppy and you know they need to go to the bathroom, they need to go in their crate for a little bit. Okay? Is what it is. You've got to create containment. You have to create consistency. You have to create repetition and routine and then reinforce and strengthen that behavior. That's really what housebreaking is about. So as long as you can follow those things, you know, those pieces of advice to a T, you should not have a problem. Next question. This comes from Roger from Chicago, Illinois. Roger says, I don't have a dog related question, but I want to know TOS, TNG, DS9, or Voyager? <laughs> Roger, awesome question. For those of you scratching your head, yeah, this isn't dog related. Roger has picked up on the fact that I named my dog Riker. And it's not a secret, right? <laughs> he's Commander Riker. For those of you not in the know, Commander Riker, uh, he's a he's that's a Star Trek character. It's a Star Trek name. So what Roger is asking me is, am I a fan of the original series, TOS, Star Trek? The Next Generation Star Trek with Captain Picard, right? Uh, TNG. The DS9 series, Deep Space Nine, or Voyager. And that has Captain Janeway. You know, look, you didn't ask me Discovery. You didn't ask me Picard. No, no, no. He's he's sticking to the to the to the canon of, of Star Trek here, and I appreciate that, Roger. I really do. I think you knew I would, <laughs> which is why you're asking this question. Look, I, I it's funny because you could have assumed that I'm a TNG fan for the most part, but I'm going to, I'm going to let you in on my secret. I know, I know some, some, uh, Star Trek fans are not going to be happy about this, but I'm a Voyager fan. <laughs> That's right. Voyager. Voyager is my favorite. Voyager is what got me into it. I'll be, I'll be honest. I was not a Trekkie until 
Voyager. So if I'm just being honest with you guys, yep, Star Trek Voyager. That's my favorite series. I love it. At the same time, I have a lot of respect for Captain Picard. Uh, and of course, the original Captain Kirk. How could we not? But, uh, but uh, live long and prosper, my friend. <laughs> Thanks for the question, Roger. The answer to today's trivia question, what is the deadliest insect in the world? It is the mosquito. Yes, unfortunately, the mosquito kills more than 700,000 people every single year, hosting a variety of nasty diseases such as malaria, dengue, West Nile, yellow fever, and Zika, and more. They really take a toll. Malaria is the big one, though. That kills roughly 435,000 people worldwide. That's one person every 30 seconds. That's crazy. Now, mosquitoes are known to prefer Beer drinkers, yes, probably because drinking a beer increases the ethanol content in your sweat. Now, ethanol really turns mosquitoes on, plus all that booze is going to increase your body temperature, which only makes it easier for a mosquito to find. Now, people of greater body mass tend to attract more bugs for the same reason. Mosquitoes, interestingly, also prefer people with O-type blood. Nobody really knows why, but the assumption is that O-type blood people must smell better, well, at least to mosquitoes. So don't forget to put on that mosquito spray this summer and stay safe out there. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, go ahead and do so right now. If you love what you're hearing, click that five-star rating or leave me an awesome review. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog. <laughs>